Welcome back to Sustaining Craft, the podcast all about the stories of those in creative industries. Elizabeth Silverstein, and I have with me today Chef Donnie Furneaux. Hi, Donnie. How are you? Doing great. Good to see you. What do you do? So I am a chef, owner, slash partner of a restaurant called Catfits Diner. It is a contemporary diner that does everything from biscuits, donuts, homemade pies, all the way to fried chicken, barbecue. Um, we do breakfast, lunch, and tons of catering. Awesome. And when did you open up Cutheads? So we opened up June 13th of 2018. Okay, so this year, but you're not new to the chef game. How did you end up in Little Rock? So Little Rock, Arkansas was a really, um, it was never on my radar. My parents moved here in 95. Um, I was living up north, um, right outside Chicago, living in Iowa, just Midwest, good food, different pace of life. And then 2001, um, there was just a need to be around my family. Uh, my mom was having some, some health issues and, you know, you just have to look at the quality of life. You know, I'm, I'm living a fast paced life in the chef industry and I'm only seeing my parents twice a year. And so I want to be close to them. And so I moved to Little Rock, Arkansas and wow. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of a culture shock. Just, maybe. A, just, just a touch. Just a scooch. So let's talk a little bit. How did you become a chef? Is it something you always did when you were a kid? What was that journey? So for me, becoming a chef kind of started at a young age. I had all sorts of different hopes and dreams, like being a pro baseball player. Um, turned out I wasn't very good at baseball. But, you know, I, I was going to business school as well, and I knew I wanted to be in business. I knew I wanted to, um, you know, utilize some sort of knowledge with you know, being creative and whatnot, but I just didn't know where that would take me. But I, I learned very quickly that I was – I kind of had a natural knack and natural talent in the kitchen. And so I could work in different restaurants. I always had a job. So no matter what I was doing with school or sports or whatever, I could just go pick up a knife and work somewhere and get a paycheck. And so over time, I realized I excelled very quickly and I got leadership roles in kitchens. Shoot at a much younger age than I even deserved, but um, it was something I enjoyed. And so there was always a job. So you have a business degree. No, I, I never. You didn't, I, you didn't I, finish it. Didn't finish it. Okay. No, I did not. But that was kind of where it started, where mm-hmm. you wanted to work in business. So, what was the draw to for you for a creative element to work in business? Um, well, I, I wanted to be in control. Okay. It was something that I created. You know what I mean? Um, you know, marketing and all those things; those were great outlets. But I just found that the food side of it, making people happy, and all of the passion I could put into it. And then the flavors I was able to create, it was just always intriguing me every day. And it seemed like the chefs I worked under at that time in my career, even in my life, um, touched my soul so much that it was something I just wanted to keep digging after. And then I opened up sides of, of, of me that I didn't know existed. And it was just not to get weird about it. It just, it, it, it's kind of, it helped me grow. And then, um, I, I kind of unleashed some some stuff I didn't even know I had that was in me, and so um, here we are now. Yeah. What um, can you quantify that a little bit more? What were some of the things that came out? So one of the things, like just just my love for like vegetables and like people will say, well, even when I moved to Little Rock and Owen, I was doing farm to table before farm to table was a movement, but just 
like knowing about food and like looking at a carrot and thinking of all the different things I could do to it, but then also, or, or prepare it, but thinking about, you know, where it came from and the people behind it. And it's just like when you drink a bottle of wine, you know, you look at the region and you think about, you know, the trees, the grass, the people, everybody involved in that berry that goes into a bottle of wine. And I think I just, I'm basically telling you I'm weird. Yeah, no, no, not at all. <laughs> There's a lot of thoughts into it. And so like yeah. when you look at the animals too and, and the proteins that you're cooking, you know, that animal like die for you. And so I always had to cook it to the best of my ability to give it that honor. But yeah, it just, again, see, so it, went, it, it makes me weird. It's my happy place. I have a lot of passion. I don't think it's weird. I think, well, when I moved, I lived in Colorado for five years. I moved there in 2010. And that's when I kind of got into business writing in the local movement. And just taking the time to think about where your food comes from, I think is so important mm-hmm. and what it went through. And even comparing, if you compare like a local chicken breast to something that's been, um, you know, farm factory farmed, the differences in the meat, you can see it. Wait, it's, you can, the color difference, mm-hmm. everything, the flavors, mm-hmm. um, you know, and the other side of that too, you're building a relationship with that person. And so it's just like any business, you know, once you get relationships with people, your business runs stronger, you have that trust built in and it, it's going to be a lot more successful, especially like when you go to bed at night, you know, where all of your things are coming from, you know, how much things cost. Yeah. Um, relationships. Yeah, the relationships are, are a huge factor with any business, but especially with, with the type of food that we do. Mm-hmm. I wanted to interview you because I interviewed for you for a local magazine, and that was something that really came out was your passion for local farmers and for local produce, and that was really fascinating to me. How did you combine that? To, how did you first discover local produce? Because it's, it's not cheaper. It's cheaper to go to the grocery store. It's a little more expensive. So what, right. what what was that first process for you? So I, I can honestly give, it's kind of crazy. I remember the moment too, when I, when I fell in love with it. Um, I was, I think 21. Um, I'm way older than that now. I was 21. I was working at a place called Giovanni's downtown Iowa city. Um, and it was, you know, university of Iowa, right in the, the heart of it. And chef Aaron Salzman uh, was going to the farmer's market one Saturday morning. He goes, Hey, I don't remember what he called me, but it wasn't a chef or cook. <laughs> he goes, hop in the truck and I'll take you someplace. And I walked with him and I watched how he bought from farmers and everything. And, and I mean, this is like 1996, 97. Um, but he had this farmer's market. It was right down there. And how he was buying tomatoes and he was hand-picking the vegetables that he was putting into the food. And then when we came back, like all of it made so much more sense to me because I, I ran the wood burning grill. I mean, the first grill I ever worked on was wood burning. And for those of you that cook for a living, you know, just working a wood burning grill is another step up. So the grill I trained on was a wood burning grill. It was a box. You put fire in and had to move it one side to the other. And on a busy Friday night, if you're not getting your coals going in your stuff, your, your grill will get cool real quickly. But just getting those relationships with those farmers and then meeting those people there. And then throughout my tenure with him, Seeing these same farmers come to the back door giving us boxes of produce, then learning where it came from, like, I just thought he was the coolest guy ever and I wanted to be just like him. And he was kind of my first passion as far as where the chef journey began. What a fun story. So you you moved to Little Rock, mm-hmm. Arkansas. You opened your first restaurant because you've had several. Cat Heads is not your first. Cat Heads is not my first. Um, hopefully it's going to be the most successful one. Yes. Um, in 2004... We opened um, Fresnel Restaurant, and that was um, when we named it Fresnel. I had no idea what would come about. You know, I just knew it was going to be fine dining. I was good at it. Had some great chefs train me, 
and, and it was a lot of fun. It was wildly successful. We we did it in a neighborhood called Hill, Hillcrest, but it was just a, it was something that Little Rock didn't have yet, and so we we're just kind of filling that niche. And like with any business, we just got lucky, and we sold it successfully, and it was a lot of fun. Um, and then moving past that, I, I took a few years off, traveled around, did some really cool things or some for some very fancy people, very famous people, and um, then wanted to open a healthy restaurant, which was the worst decision ever because even though we all talk that we want to eat healthy, we all want to do it, unfortunately, um, it was a poor business decision. There was a multitude of reasons. Part, you know, I can blame it on the location. I can blame it on a lot of things, but I would, you know, sum it up to being, you know, inexperienced. Um, but there's, there's a couple things I take away from the, the failed business was, I'm much better with, with money <laughs> now, but also um, I, I'm much more aware of the true cost of how to run a business. Because um, when we had the first one, we were making sales left and right, so we were allowed to make those mistakes. When you're not making very much money from the sales end, every mistake is just, there's so much more gravity to it. And um, But it was a big learning lesson. I'm able to learn, uh, use the, the information I learned from there as intellectual property yeah. and do consulting with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just did some catering. I helped open 1836 Club, and that was fun. But uh, Cat Heads is kind of everything I've learned over the years wrapped into one. And the one thing I learned is listen to your customers. Give them what they want. Um, it doesn't matter if you don't, you know, if you read these blogs and you read about where people are eating and you want to make fun of them, and you're a chef, you know, take a step back and, and, and read it at a different angle and say, wow, this is what they're eating. This is what they want. Right. And so this is where I live. And I'll tell you what, I never thought I'd have a ketchup tower in the middle of a dining room of any of the restaurants I've ever been in. And we have one. And guess what? People love it. And we're in the service industry. We're here about, we're here to make people happy. Yeah. And so Catheads, this is my, my, hopefully my last one that we'll do. Maybe we'll just open several, but this is, I'm at home now. So I think that everything I've ever done in the past has literally led me to this point. Maybe everything happens for a reason. So, yeah. Um, and you can do what you love and bring the values that you care about to the business while continuing to listen to your customers. You don't have mm-hmm. to, you don't have to, com- you have to compromise a little bit, but you don't have to give up. Not at all. Not at all. And so, you know, I get to, we get to make homemade barbecue, we get to do fried chicken. And one of the coolest things is um, we have an all-star cast too. And so um, one thing I haven't mentioned yet is I got to one of my partners, her name is Kelly Marks. And the first day I met her, she made some of the best desserts I've ever had in my life. And then we always thought, wow, how can we have her work with us? Well, then over the years, she would make desserts at Fresno Restaurant. And we had a relationship there. And now it's kind of cool because... At this point in our life, we're both able to work under the same roof and be partners in the same business. And it's kind of fun because she does all the sweet and I do all the savory. Um, but just our collaborations together are like nothing I've ever seen. And thank goodness the customers are loving it. So. Yeah. And it's, the response has been really good. Oh, it's been, it's been great. It's been great. Um, you know, our business model changed a little bit as we opened because we we have to accommodate the lines that are, yeah. <laughs> that are coming. Um, our brunch is one of the busiest brunches I've ever worked in. And we have lines out the door right when we the door at 10. But um, what's really cool about this too, we're starting to do some catering and she can do, I mean, we're the total package. You've got the savory side and the sweet. So we do the, the, the appetizers, the cocktail hour, all the way to the wedding cake. Oh, wow. Um, 
so that's that's been really exciting to to get to do. I've never never been able to do that before. And it's a little bit different with, with Cat's Head. It's not quite people sit down and order a specific meal, but they can go up and choose their sides. How does that work? Oh, yeah. So, so how Cat Head's Diner worked, um, you know, my, our, our business, our financial investor, Rodney, which, you know, you say investor, he has a lot more input than just that. Um, he is our demographic. So he's eaten all around the South. And so when I need to know about chicken spaghetti or bone-in fried chicken, he's the one telling me all about it. But this hot lunch counter... And, and whenever you think about business, at the end of the day, you're opening a business. You can open a business on hopes, dreams, and wishes, but at the end of the day, it's money that pays the bills. And so whenever you own a restaurant, your price point has to be right on with how many times you can turn your tables versus how, you know, all these factors. And so over the years, one thing I learned was how can I cook the most amount of food efficiently and still remain retain its integrity as far as how delicious and fresh it is? and get people in and out of the seats the fastest. And so one thing I found like the lunch business, no matter where you go, if you have 20 people with you, it's gonna take 20 minutes to get sat, ordered, maybe your food to come out. That's 20 minutes to eat now. So if we just scoop and serve and it's like a hot lunch counter, you just walk, you see the food. I've seen it in small towns, I've seen it in farm towns, I've seen it in like just small, small mom and pops, but never at this scale. And so again, rather than going safely, Decided to go, yeah. go big and decided to do something else. But with with having Kelly on board and Rodney on board, it took a lot of the, the stress away. Um, but what we understood was if this business works the way it does on paper, but realistically, this can be very profitable and you can make all of your money before two o'clock. And I say all of your money, there can always be more money made, but it has to be the experience. So as a customer, you have to be able to walk in. Sometimes the lines get long, but we're getting better every day and we're listening to each one of our customers, but you can literally walk in the door, grab, get, get a seat, get in line and have your food at your table within eight minutes, no matter how busy you are. Yeah. But you have to make sure the food's good. Right. So that's the, that's the kicker. And I don't mean to get too far off topic, but, um, the entire, I don't want to use the phrase turn and burn, but, but get the people in and get them out and turn those tables quickly. That's how you can make money in the restaurant industry. You don't want to be cheap, like, you know, fast food restaurants or like that, but you also can't be selling, you know, high end bougie products, you know, and, and, and so the price point has to be right. Our plate lunches are $11. If you, if you're a light or vegetarian, it's $7.50. But we utilize local ingredients as much as we can. We use all humanely raised proteins. Um, that's where the challenge came in. But then I learned though, if we can cook it in bulk, batch cooking and we have almost zero waste like making stocks from scratch every sauce is scratch made kelly makes every biscuit every donut everything from scratch and our biggest cost in this is our labor if we don't have this up we can make it work and so right now we're making it <laughs> work and so it was very stressful getting to this point i guess it's paid off right and it sounds like everyone, once everyone understood the concept and what you were trying to do, everyone was like, okay, I get it. And it tastes good. So I love too that your focus is sustainability. So you're looking at um, humanely raised animals. You're looking at local farms. If you can't get it here, at least you're looking at sustainable, sustainable practice. So all of that is, I feel, adds up to a really wonderful mission where people can come pay a decent price and get really good quality food that supports the local economy, supports local farmers and takes care of our animals. 
So even if you don't, you don't necessarily have to be a vegetarian or vegan to be like, hey, animals need to be treated well too. Absolutely. I mean, and, and it's uh, when you cook for this many people in a day, I don't really want to really reveal the number of how many people we do in a day, but <laughs> yeah. you want to make sure you put an impact on them. And I think some of the best compliments we've had is we had one woman tearing up talking about how good the biscuits were and how good the baked beans were because it took her back to when she was a kid with her grandmother yeah. and her grandmother's not around and you know, like smells or memories and flavors. And um, we're literally trying to make it taste like your grandma's been in the back kitchen mm-hmm. cooking for you. And it's been hard as a chef because you got to put your ego to the side a little bit and literally cook what people want and not cook what you think that they want because you're trying to be a chef. Right. Um, and so uh, there's a fine balance with that. Because this cat head isn't necessarily fine dining. No, not at all. Okay. It's done right. You're going to walk in. It's a cool vibe. It's literally a hot lunch meet and three restaurant, like a hot lunch counter. We serve breakfast um, and lunch, and we will do some dinners. But um, we're, we're waiting on that because uh, our catering has been. <laughs> yeah. We like to do weddings and large events, too. Yeah. And that's grown very quickly, very recently. As well. it, it has. And I think, you know. A lot of it has to do with the people that we have on, on board with us. Um, you know, we've got Kelly that's been in the wedding industry for a long time with her wedding cakes. I mean, shoot, a wedding cake is like the cherry on top of any event. I mean, there's two things, you know, that are very memorable are the pictures and the wedding cake of a wedding. Besides, you know, of course, getting married that yeah, day. Yeah, you know, whatever. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that <laughs> sure. Yeah. But then we've got um, Tim Mosby, who just joined us as the catering director in He's been in the catering world for years, but he has a lot of relationships. And then I've done a lot of private catering. So the three of us together under the same roof were able to kind of conquer a lot of different avenues with this. That's awesome. Well, let's switch things up a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) So you're married, and your wife's name is Megan. Megan, yes. How did you meet Megan? So it's funny. She was... um, I, I... had sold my house and I was in between finding out where, you know, where I was living. So I literally found the most expensive apartment I could find on the rock. that was clean. I haven't lived in apartments since I, since I was in college and she ended up being my neighbor. Oh, and, okay. um, we just built this great friendship and gosh, that was 2010 or 2000, yeah, about 2010. Okay. And then, uh, we just became great friends and then we dated and friendship and, and all that kept growing. And then, uh, we've been there for eight years. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. That's great. And you, when did you get married? Uh, we got married November 12th of 2016. 2016. Okay. And so we, and what's crazy is we actually, I asked her to marry me after she helped me because she, she was a buyer at Dillard. She's not in the restaurant industry, but she's always helped me. And with the the the, bat, the uh, good food by Freno, the restaurant that had failed, um, we had just got through our holiday season, and, and that story is a crazy story. But um, we uh, and it was actually that day I got an eviction notice from Newmark Grub saying that uh, it was a ten day eviction notice because we were slow on our rent that December, and I got it December twenty third at four o'clock. That was an awesome day. But. Um, that night we had an event that we did and then uh, I went to Midtown and asked her to marry me, uh, waiting for a cheeseburger at Midtown. Oh, that's so romantic. That same night, right? <laughs> and nobody knew I had the eviction notice. <laughs> uh, but she stuck by me through, through everything and we've, we've really made a great team together. And um, 
I've been very blessed in that avenue. I think, you know, with her support and just her being behind me, it's, it's definitely helped me achieve a lot of the goals that I'm um, getting to work in right now. You know, you, you pray for everything to come, and then, well, it's here, and, and she's had a lot to do with that. So I feel very blessed. What um, what connected you to? What made you think, like, oh, this is the one that I want to marry? I don't I can't really tell you the moment that happened. I mean, uh, several times, but like, it took me four or five, four years to get there. Because she even, uh, she'll tell you, like, the moment she met me, I was like, I'm never getting married. I'm not doing it again. <laughs> I was married once before. Okay. So I'm not ever getting married again. I'm done with this. Like, we could be friends, but don't expect much more. Um, I was very brutally honest in the beginning, which I'm surprised she stuck around. Uh, <laughs> but we just have fun together. No matter what we do, we always laugh and even when it's like oh just gonna go home and watch tv and, and chill we look forward to it or you know like tonight it's uh, the trouters made the playoffs and we're excited because we're taking our dogs to the ballpark it's a dollar to get in and it's you know dollar uh hot dogs on okay. you know so that's gonna be a great day it's gonna be a great day and, and it's just that's i guess that's the key we, we keep continually dating each other we never stop and uh but yeah she helps drive me all the time i hope i do the same for her So you and Megan met, you got married, and then you decided to do something kind of crazy. <laughs> yeah, we did, we did. But you know so crazy, though? We did, um, so she does PR, too. Okay. And so I, we got married November 12th, and I had to be at Auburn to do the Auburn, the gala at Auburn, where they raised over $300,000. And I was, like, on the ticket with, um, his name was Daniel Campbell. He was the, David Campbell, he was the sh- executive pastry chef of the Ritz-Carlton. Um, and and uh, Atlanta, a bunch of other cool names like Chapel Gage was there, uh, Matt Bullis, Floor Kitchen, but just a lot of really cool um, cooks we got to cook with. And she she Googled it, looked it up. She goes, um, You're going to go to this. Well, here was the kicker. We got married that Saturday, and I had to be on a plane that Tuesday to go to Auburn for three and a half, four days. And I was like, I don't want to go. We just got married. She goes, Nope, you're going. It's, it's good for you. And what's crazy is what you're about to talk about, we were able to intermingle some of those relationships just from that one event oh, wow. um, into the future stuff that we're doing now. And so oh, wow. she's always she's a smart one at some point. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, she had the, yeah, the eye on the future. So is that, that's event, that event led you to? You know, no, it, it didn't, event? but okay. like some of it crossed me. Yeah. Um, okay. And then and I assume you're talking about the great future. Right? Yes. Um, well, we won't spend too much time on it, but how did that happen? What got you interested in doing that? So, I had done a couple other shows before in the past, um, and I've always, once you're in the, the, the industry of talking to producers and all that stuff, you kind of never leave, and they always hit you up for something and talk to you. And they have like a database. It, it's kind of, yeah. And, so, yeah. And, and once you work with a few other producers, they have favorites, and um, it's just kind of, we get hit up all the time, and like... I was at the gym, I was over at Clubhouse Fitness, and I got a message, and I the screenshot sent to her, and she goes, oh my God, that'd be cool. And then she Googled, and she goes, I think that they need to win a food truck. And I was at the time, I'm like, food truck would be awesome for catering, we'd have a lot of fun with it. And so $50,000 was the, the, the purse on this. And so I was like, I just think it's silly. I think, you know, it's a great show, but I don't ever want it to be defined as a Food Network competition chef. I want people to love my food. Um, and so she goes, it's $50,000. I'm like, well, I guess I'll be a Food Network chef. <laughs> That's what they're asking for. And so her and I had a, a really great chance to do that. But you got to understand, like, we were just married. And 
um, it's long days, early mornings, and cramming a food truck and traveling and living in hotels. I mean, we were gone for a long time. And, uh, Something like that will make or break your marriage. It, it definitely will. It will make or break relationships, friendships, marriages. I mean, uh, it, it, it tested it, absolutely. But what was great is by the time we got on that plane to fly home, I feel like we were much closer. I'm sure she'll say the same thing, but we, the trials and tribulations of life four years of marriage was squeezed into like four and a half weeks with Food Network. So <laughs> oh, it was, wow. nobody died. So we're good. Yeah, that's great. But we did get to see a lot of the city. And I'll, and I'll tell you, just that experience with the, the savory side of things, I was able to travel the South on Food Network's Diamond and eat what people were eating right now in different regions. And a lot of it was similar. <laughs> um, but you talk about food trends. These aren't trends. I was really loving these are mainstays these are staples of the south and so um you know fast forwarding back to catheads like i was literally able to see staples of southern food through the eyes of different restaurateurs and chefs and uh, some people can play music by ear i feel like i can cook that way and so um it really made me feel confident with the flavors that we had already settled on and what i was putting out which is you know, being a boy from the north, I've been in the south long enough to, to call south my home. But, you, you know, it's not what I was raised on. My grandma wasn't cooking this from when I was a kid. So. And what are some of the southern staples? I know fried chicken. Fried chicken. Bone-in fried chicken or just fried chicken? Fried chicken. Um, we, we, we could be doing some bone-in fried chicken here very soon. Um, good southern grits, greens, um, mashed potatoes, gravy. Um, different ways of gravy, you know, different ways that you do the gravy, you know. Because um, you do you do brown gravy and white gravy. We, we do brown gravy when we have the dripping. So okay. I, I don't use any um, bouillon or base, I guess you'd call okay. it. Mm-hmm. We literally save all the drippings from our smoker when we're when we're doing brisket and pork. We save every bit of that juice and then we skim the fat. We make roux from the fat. And then we make the gravy with stock and it's like a smoky, it's not too smoky, but it's a smoky brown gravy. That's amazing. Um, all these layers of flavor, all these layers of flavor, but we don't really, the style of cooking that we do, we're not bringing in, I guess, cheating ways. Uh, we're not using beef base to make beef, you know, brown gravy or anything. It's, it's a pain in the ass sometimes, <laughs> but it's, <laughs> it's very rewarding. And the flavors are there. The flavors are there. The, the key thing is flavors and, it's just like, you know, like Kelly's biscuits and cornbread. Like, if we're serving biscuits and cornbread, it better be biscuits and cornbread. And, you know, she's got a great team, and, and they're hitting the mark. I mean, every single thing that we're doing that we're claiming to be, there's people ready to rip us apart because we're not what we say, who we say we are. But we've been very blessed lately and very fortunate that we've, we've really paid attention to these. All the details. So what's kind of striking me too about your story is that you're, you're honest about the failures, um, mm-hmm. but you're also, you've seen how it contributes to a lesson that you've been able to pull, even, you know, the food network thing where you're like, I'm not going to be, but see that experience helped you with cat heads too. Absolutely. So how is that? Was that something you've always had where you're like, all right, I might've failed here, but I see a lesson or is that something you learned along the way? It was something I definitely learned along the way. It was a trait that I, I admired in people, but as a young chef or even a young male, um, that's competitive. I mean, there's five of us kids in my family and I had an older brother that was very amazing at sports. And it was just, to me, you know, if I wasn't as good as he was in that sport, it just, it, it was hard, you know? And so 
competition is natural um, and you always want to be the best, but I guess you have to be beaten down a little bit or just be born a little bit wiser to be able to take a step back and look at your failures mm -hmm. rather than brush them under the rug and say they never happened. You know, something, something I'll say to people that if they look at it through like a peephole or somewhat of a closed mind, it will piss them off. But whenever I see somebody fail um, and they come to me and tell me about it, usually complaining, I just ask them, like, did you learn anything? What did you learn? And sometimes if they're already aggravated, they're quick to think I'm being condescending with them. But literally, like, I'm asking a question, like, what did you learn from this? Okay, it might have cost you X amount of dollars, but what did you learn from it? Like, when my cooks burn something or they mess up a stock or just little weird things that cost me money, okay, I'm investing in that person right there. What did you learn from this? It was an expensive mistake. So tell me you learned something because I just don't want to fire you, you know. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it took me a long time to get there. You have to put your ego in your pocket sometimes. I mean, shoot, people that listen to this probably think, oh, Donnie, you know, he's cocky. I mean, if you worked for me and you were lazy, didn't work hard, or you lied, or, you know, just you were a shitty employee, you're going to hate me. But if you worked hard and you made mistakes, and when you made them, you tried and you tried to get better, you're going to love me. I mean, I have hopefully more people that like me than don't, but and you also got to look at the, you know, generation that's out there, you know, they, they're, they want something for nothing. But me looking at my failures and learning from them has definitely, I try to instill it in people. Sometimes it gets harder, but, but definitely it, it was something I grew into. The other thing you had said before we started recording that I really liked is if someone feels like they have a different way to do something and they mm -hmm. come to you about it, you don't shut, you don't smack that down. You're like, well, let's try it. Let's try it your way. Let's try it my way. Absolutely. So I'd love to, how did you start doing that? Is it something you've always done? It wasn't something I've always done, but at Fernell restaurant, you know, one thing you have to understand too, like people want to open businesses and they want to do work and they want to have all these things. If you want to open a business, your number one thing that's going to hold you back is your workforce. Now, when I say this, what I'm about to say next, I love the South. I don't want to live anywhere else. If there was an ocean here, it'd be even greater. But um, when I was up north and working hard, you know, I worked for the chef that trained me that truly put the most knowledge in my head and in my heart. I'd go into work and there'd be a stack of resumes sitting on the counter. And I won't repeat how he said it, but like we'd be like, what are these, chef? These are the uh, blankety blank blanks that want your job. Prove to me, like, why they shouldn't have it. Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah. And so where any position you work up north or in a larger city, you've got five or six people on your table wanting your job. Yeah. But I think it was for the with the chef I worked under as well. I mean, he was very well known. I mean, just he, and he knew it. I can pay you a dollar an hour, a dollar a day, and you'll still work here because I know once you put my name on a resume, you're going to get that job. Yeah. So we moved to the south. We do this, and we opened for no and the workforce is just much, much harder. Now, I got very lucky. We had an all-star cast over there. And, and Cat Heads Diner, we've got one here, the restaurants I've been at. But when you look around the workforce in the South, is much, much different. And so how do you work with that? Okay, well, there's different ways to attack it. You just don't tell somebody they're wrong because then you're always going to move forward and not know why. And so one thing I found was, okay, well, well why don't we try it your way? Why don't you make this dish and I'll make this dish? We'll do it your way. I get that when you're in culinary school or you work for the chef, blah, blah, blah. It's very easy to, to shut them down. But when you shut that person down, you're shutting a door on their creativity, their passion, and their want to be there. And so if you can learn together, so why don't you make this and I'll make this, whichever one works best, 
we'll go with that. Now, most of the time I usually win that conversation, but what really opened my eyes was the first time I didn't. And I learned something as well too. And so then you build that camaraderie and that trust and that, you know, it's more of a relationship than just a, a, you know, a worker boss relationship, but both people walk away learning something, you know? And, And yeah, I mean, there's always a better way out there. I mean, just because I'm a chef, I mean, I'm sure I'll get crap for this, but we don't know everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, we like to act like we do. Well, being the boss, too, like, there's a certain expectation there. Yeah. What are your, well, we, we kind of touched on some of your goals for Cat Heads, um, but do you have, do you want to continue catering? And Yeah, we, we just want to, um, where we are now, we're a growing business, and we are a business, so you, people always have to remember that. Yes, we're, we're a place you eat, but we're still a business. We all go to work because there's money to be made. It's not, you know, I love cooking, yeah. <laughs> love it, but I wouldn't go do weddings and all this stuff unless we were able to make money and feed our families off of doing so. So that's how we make our living. But we want to, um, we want to, we want to fill spots in the city that, that aren't being filled properly right now. And so catering is one of those things I've always done. And uh, yeah, catering is something we're definitely growing into right now. So weddings and any kind of party. <laughs> That's great. And, and so where can people find you? You're on Instagram, Facebook, you have a website. So we're on um, Cat Heads Diner. You can find on Instagram. It's just Cat Heads Diner um, on Instagram. And then I'm uh, Chef Renault on Instagram. We have a Chef Renault page and a Cat Heads page on Facebook, Instagram. Um, we have websites. Uh, just at the restaurant. If you want, to, if you want to find us, we're at the restaurant working. Um, and that's in the paint factory. Though? Yeah, so it's an old paint factory, and so we are in what they call the East Village, or some people might know it as Hanger Hill, uh, but it's on a corner of Sixth and Shaw, and it's in the original paint factory from Sterling Paint, and uh, we're on the I guess that would be the the, the west side of the building. And we're on the west side. That's 515 Shaw Avenue. Yeah, Shaw Avenue. We're right down the street from Pepper, and we're right across from the new uh, East M School in that area. Well, thanks so much for joining me today. That was great. Yeah, I really appreciate having you. This has been Sustaining Craft with Elizabeth Silverstein, and my guest today, um, Chef Donnie Bruneau. And this podcast would not be possible without some friends. Audio editing by Joshua Kurtz, original artwork by Morgan Elaine, and original music by Jim Giago of Nomad Neighbors. Find them playing around Denver almost every weekend. And on Spotify under 7 Second Chance. Um, Chef Donnie, before we sign off completely, do you have any advice for someone who is interested in becoming a chef? Or maybe specifically someone, a chef who works with local food? Um... That's a, that's a good one. Um, if you're if you're literally uh, wanting to become a chef, and who knows what your reasons are, there, there's there's a couple books you should read, and it's of course Kitchen Confidential from the late Anthony Bourdain, and then um, Letter to a Young Chef from Daniel Balut. Go work in a restaurant where you're going to get your ass kicked every day, and after that month, then decide if this is what you want to do. And you know, if you have the ability to cook at your own pace, and, and the pressure of a kitchen isn't your uh, concern you know um then you're very blessed i guess but uh yeah you gotta be a little bit crazy read those books um and you know the rest will the rest will follow use those knives read those books and keep kicking left.